1: Listen closely. That's not just paint rolling on a wall. It's artistry. A master painter carefully applying Benjamin Moore Regal Select eggshell with deftly executed strokes. The roller, lightly cradled in his hands, applying just the right amount of paint. Hmm. It's like
0: hearing poetry in motion. Benjamin Moore, see the love. Welcome to Rex Flix! This time, The King! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello!
1: And uh, welcome to a a brand new Rex Factor podcast, Rex Flix. Yeah, qu'est-ce que c'est? We're doing some film reviews, or one film review in this We're particular instance. We're doing a instance.
0: film review, yeah. 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 Is this like my book review that privy councillors get? No, uh, in that it's
1: a full-on episode rather than uh, part <laughs> part of an episode.
0: You mean rather than a broken up two minutes where I work out <laughs> yeah. what on earth it was going on? Yeah. <laughs> well, it might be that, but just over an hour instead. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's going to be an hour of you flicking through Netflix going, oh,
0: what did I watch? I'm sure it was... Oh, I know. I texted you that earlier, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. I can't remember how long ago it was. I watched the King when I thought you were watching it with me. It was. I mean, to be
1: fair, it's about a month ago now. Yeah. Anyway, so for Rexflix, what we thought we'd do, we often get asked about films relating to kings and queens, whether we've seen them, what we think about them. So we thought it might be fun to start a series of intermittent podcasts where we actually do watch and review some of these films. Yeah. In terms of the structure. We're sort of testing it out, really. So we'll see how exactly it's going to be. But in t- in vague terms, we're going to give an overview of the film and the history, just kind of a very brief summary of each. Then we'll do a run through the plot of the film and what mm. happens. So there will be spoilers if you haven't seen The King mm. or any other film we come to review. And then we will review it in terms of how historically accurate it is and also whether it's actually any fun to watch. Mm. So it's sort of not exactly... Um, fully set in terms of a schedule, but I'm thinking vaguely at least once every mini series break.
0: That's nice. We re- reward ourselves with a nice film.
1: Exactly. <laughs> um, so this will be, I think our intention is, it will be a Privy Councilor bonus podcast to go along with the Privy Chamber, but for this first episode, we're making it available to everybody.
0: Oh, nice. So, That's very kind of us, isn't yeah,
1: it? It is very kind of us, yeah. So you get a sense of uh, another thing um that you could get by joining the privy chamber and also it's some content to make up for the fact that we've not done an episode in a while because uh, things have got a bit busy with uh lockdown and childcare and my partner yeah. not being on maternity leave anymore
0: yeah 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 it's true though that, that you get less done in lockdown mm. having nothing to do means oh yeah, anyway everyone knows what we're talking about <laughs>
1: Anyway, so for the first film, of this episode, we're watching The King, and uh, as you were saying, I did a Netflix party, so Mm a kind of watch-along, so people could watch at exactly the same time as me, and we had a little text chat going. Did you see me arrive? (laughs) Yeah. So you came in, like, I mean, certainly more than an hour into the film, I'd say. Yeah, it was a tricky evening, that one. And you came in and said, hey, it's Ali, and then... After about 10, then you disappeared very quickly, and then you came back again, and then after a few minutes, said bye
0: everyone. Yeah, I mean, it took me an absolute age um, to work it all out because I've got a Chromebook, Mm. so it's on Chrome anyway. You have to have Chrome, don't you, to join Mm. in on this? Um, But for some reason, the extension wasn't working and uh then i it just kept loading netflix from the start the film from the start so i thought oh my god I'm, i've been i'm late as is everyone else and this is <laughs> yeah. so i reckon i watched a good 10 minutes thinking well it's got a you know i was waiting for some, i don't know was it buffering waiting for something to kick in yeah and then um it just sort of jumped like an hour into the film and all the comments arrived <laughs> um so yeah sorry about that but i had seen it before though as, as we were saying but mm. quite a long time earlier
1: Overview So The King The film Mm. Is uh, directed by A tap called Actually you know I don't know how to pronounce his name David Michod It's M-I-C-H And then it's an O With a Triangle over the top Triangle hat Uh, But an Australian chap
0: Michod (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, he's a director and he's also one of the writers Along with uh, Joel Edgerton Who's an Australian actor who's been in quite a lot of things Like Zero Dark Thirty, The Great Gatsby That sort of thing
0: Joel Edgerton, I recognise that name What, he wrote it?
1: So they wrote it together Though it's based on William Shakespeare's Henryad plays So Henry IV, Part One, Part Two, and Henry V
0: Why Henry IV?
1: Well, Henry V starts off, as we'll see with the film, he starts off as Prince Hal in the reign of his father.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what, I mean that makes sense, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, so it's mainly Henry V, but the early years you get. So it's, a it's sort of a Shakespeare adaptation, but what they've basically done is take the, as we will see whether or not it's an accurate depiction of history as used by Shakespeare, but without any of the words... Of Shakespeare. Well, obviously, some of the actual literal words, but.
0: <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's already made it a million times more attractive to me. I know Rex Factor fans and most of humanity think I'm a Philistine for that. Or probably know I'm a Philistine for that. But. Oh, it's a relief, isn't it? Well, as we'll see. We'll see whether we
1: miss any of that language. Mm. It's quite. It's in. In adaptation terms, to sort of take a Shakespeare and think, well, the one thing that we need to change is the words.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's quite arrogant, isn't it, in a yeah. way? Uh, world's greatest playwright, apparently. <laughs> um, some questions. <laughs> yeah, like scribbling over a Picasso. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, And it came out uh, last year, 2019, uh, on Netflix, hence the Netflix party. So as per Shakespeare, it tells the story of uh, Prince Hal, future Henry V, eldest son Mm. of Henry IV, a wayward youth, but he becomes a great and responsible king, leading the English army to campaigning for the French throne, culminating in a glorious victory at the Battle of Agincourt. And uh, of course, he then marries the French king's daughter and is accepted as the heir to the French throne.
0: That is um, Rex Factor, an episode of Rex Factor in a tweet. Right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so in terms of the cast,
1: we got Timothy Chalamet as Henry V. Uh, you might recognise him from films like Call Me by Your Name, Lady Bird, Little Women recently. No. Uh, Full staff played by the aforementioned Joel Edgerton. That's where I know him from. The this film, film you've watched.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Oh, I see Yeah, right, okay uh, The French Dauphin uh, is played by Robert Pattinson Yes a Twilight fame uh, William Gascoigne, who's the Chief Justice uh, is a chap called Sean Harris Who's been in things like Prometheus, Mission Impossible, Macbeth He's basically one of those people that you've seen in Loads of stuff, yeah He's always and in fact- things, you always recognise him But you never actually know who he is
0: Yes because when, when I watched it, I remember look, uh, Googling him, but no one else. Because I thought, oh, who's that? I know him. <laughs> yeah. and, but still not really recognising any of the films he's been in. I'm not sure I've seen any of these, but definitely mm-hmm. know him. Uh And Thomas, the Duke of Clarence, so uh,
1: one of the brothers of Henry V, played by Dean Charles Chapman, who people recognize from Game of Thrones, or
0: more recently 1917. That's what I was thinking of! <laughs> I was thinking of the wrong person in the wrong film. This is tricky. This film reviewing stuff, isn't it? Cu- yeah. de Mayo of um, make it look so slick. <laughs> yeah. Yes, him, the the young chap from nineteen seventeen. Yes, plays the brother. Yes, not the ki- older king in this playing the older king in a different film. Yes. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> on board. Yep. Right. In terms of the
1: real history, uh, Henry IV, the father of Henry V, is the first Lancastrian monarch who took the throne from Richard II. And his reign is kind of a struggle to establish legitimacy and control as a mm. sort of usurper. So he faces various rebellions, one mm. of which we see in the film. And then Henry V clashes with his father, but enjoys a lot of success when he becomes king. Uh, secured unity at home, enjoys spectacular victories against the French, most famously, but not exclusively, at Ashen Court. And he was acknowledged heir to the French crown, but died just weeks before becoming king.
0: Mm, of France.
1: Of France, yes. The plot! So I thought, particularly for you, um, mm. as we were messaging earlier, and thinking the fact that it was probably about a month ago, means that you could do with a primer but I suggested that probably if we would seen it yesterday there's an extent to which you might have
0: yeah 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 I mean I, I, I highlighted that in a text what was it I said are we watching it and you said no yeah. I said okay well, I'm not going to remember it then <laughs> um, but yeah that's fine run through it that would be helpful
1: <laughs> so we start off with Prince Hal so Henry V as a young man he's uh, a bit of a wayward young prince estranged from his father Henry IV and he spends his time drinking and womanising with his best mate Falstaff Mm-hmm. And he's so wayward in fact that his father names the second son, so a younger brother of Henry, uh, Thomas as his heir. And uh Prince Hal is so, you know, um what's the word? Enraged? So, no, he's so disinterested in matters of state that he doesn't really put up much of an objection to this.
0: Is this true? Oh we're gonna do accuracy. Okay, so mm. this is this is just this is the film, right? This is the film. <laughs> Okay, not the real life. Yeah, but... Potentially it bu- could be, but potentially it's not. Yeah, bookmark that. Oh, it's tricky. Okay, it feels like I've never done this before. It's- <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't, but you, you know... Did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so
1: there is then a rebellion uh, of the northern lords so Thomas as the heir is sent to go and quell said rebellion Uh, but at the battle of Shrewsbury um, Prince Hal comes forward and challenges the leader of the northern rebels uh, Harry Hotspur to single combat in front of the army and kills him with a dagger and uh, brother Thomas is upset because he thinks if they win the battle now all the glory he would have got will be upstaged by this one bit of single combat
0: yeah it's the equivalent of saying, "No, this is my get, my ball, my game." He yeah. he wanted to do the the killing and stabbing himself.
1: Uh, so, because Thomas is so annoyed, he then goes off uh, to the rebel to the rebels in Wales to deal with them. Uh, but unfortunately, Thomas is reported to be killed in battle in this campaign, and then Henry the Fourth also dies. So Prince Hal becomes Henry the
0: All right. Okay. So the story starts properly. They gave a bit of um bit of character development but now here we go a bit of backgroundy stuff oh yes yeah <laughs> uh
1: so henry becomes king he's uh very young he doesn't seem to have much knowledge about matters of state and all this sort of stuff and his advisers, chiefly this chap william gascoigne who's a chief justice and also perhaps a bit surprisingly the archbishop of canterbury are urging him to revive the english claim to the french throne But Henry doesn't seem to be too interested, and despite an insulting gift from the Dauphin of some tennis balls...
0: Why is that insulting again?
1: uh, I guess, A, referring to his sort of wayward youth and the fact that he was all just about games and partying, and maybe also a shape reference to the anatomy. Oh, right. Uh, But Henry isn't taking the bait, and he doesn't want war. He wants peace and unity at home and abroad. Uh, But Gascoigne uh, brings to his attention A French plot to assassinate him Henry meets a captured Frenchman Who tells him that he's been sent By the King of France And Henry is a bit annoyed about this But he's still not going to war He writes back to the French King Telling him that it's an act of war And if he does it again Then there'll be hell to pay.
0: Mm-hmm so he's really, he's he's loving peace at this point. He, he is, is a loving pizza. peace.
1: He, he is loving peace, but he only can be pushed so far. And unfortunately for Henry and for the French, they push him again. A French emissary contacts two senior nobles, uh, mooting the idea of replacing Henry uh, with his cousin, a chap called Mortimer. Uh, they tell Gascoigne and express some concerns about Henry's capacity to rule. Gascoigne tells Henry, who finally declares war and has the nobles beheaded.
0: Mm. I find this a bit difficult because I want to ask you so many questions, but you aren't um, Baz, Le- what was his name, What the writer who's, um plays full stuff? Joel Edgerton. You are not him, so if any of this isn't accurate, you're yeah. not going to know why or the answer. Mm. But it's a nice story. Oh, good. <laughs> also
1: liking your... um. Uh seeing some of the cogs in your head there you were thinking Australian film, Australian film, Basler no not Basler no.
0: Oh is he is he Australian <laughs> blimey hell? You know. You know actually how my subconscious works now, do you? That's amazing. Wow. Oh. Oh. oh I feel quite exposed. <laughs>
1: So, off they go to war and Henry brings Falstaff back. He's not really seen him since he's become king, but he says that he's the only man he can trust and he wants him in France as one of the commanders of his army. Mm -hmm. So, off the English go to France. They uh, land and then besiege uh, the castle, the town of Harfleur. Uh, mm-hmm. Puts up a bit of a fight, but they uh, then surrender. And at this point, the Dauphin arrives at Halfleur, So this is the son of the French king. In the middle of the night, he wants a meeting with Henry and he basically just mocks him, threatens him um, and keeps on going until Fullstaff theatrically yawns and gets him to shut up.
0: Mm. Yeah, I remember that bit.
1: Henry manages to, uh, manages to remain pretty much implacable throughout and uh, decides that instead they'll set off and carry on the move towards glory.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay.
1: Unfortunately, though, uh, the English army encounters the Dauphin again, uh, who is leading a rather large French force, much larger than the English, so they have to decide whether they're going to fight the next morning or return home. Hmm. most of Henry's advisers think that they should return because the defeat is almost certain but Falstaff says that they can win the battle by drawing the French into the muddy battlefield on the assumption that it will rain that night
0: oh man yes now okay now I remember all the questions I had for you at the time yes yes right <laughs> okay. Henry agrees uh, and it does rain but before the battle
1: he goes off to see the Dauphin again and challenges him to single combat instead of having a battle so hmm. the winner will be the heir to the French throne.
0: Yeah. He's got a, a history of that, hasn't he?
1: He does like it. Uh, but the hmm. Dauphin doesn't and refuses, so a battle will take place. And this is, of course, the Battle of Agincourt. Henry delivers a rousing speech, and then full staff leads a diversionary advance attack into the mud to draw out the French cavalry. Cavalry hmm. attack gets stuck in the mud, becomes a bloody quagmire. The English longbowmen start firing into the French... And Henry himself leads an infantry attack right into the thick of the fighting. And uh, we see a bit of that. And clearly it's gone very well for the English, because then the Dauphin comes back. And now he does want single combat with Henry.
0: Ah, okay.
1: So we think that we're going to get a big dramatic finale with Henry and the Mm -hmm. Dauphin uh, having a big old sword fight. But unfortunately, in all his really heavy armour and all of the mud, uh, the Dauphin just keeps on comically slipping all over the place until eventually... A few Englishmen just come over, deal with the Dauphin, and Henry heads off home.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: Or not home, rather. In fact, he goes, well, first of all, he goes to the battlefield and sadly finds the body of Falstaff, who has died in the fighting. Mm. And then he goes off to meet the King of France, who not only offers to surrender to Henry, but also suggests that Henry might like to marry his daughter, Catherine.
0: little brucey bonus?
1: And be his heir to the throne. And Henry says yes.
0: Yeah, that was the point. That's why I'm here, King Old Man. I'm afraid you've got a bit late to the party.
1: So Henry does then go home and he takes Catherine with him. And when he's chatting to Catherine back in England, she questions why he invaded France. And she reveals to him that her father, and indeed her brother, never sent an assassin. And questions Uh. Henry's character motivation. So Henry, uh, Henry thinks, well, if it wasn't the French, then who has been getting involved in all of this? And he realises that it's Gascoigne that's been spinning a web of lies around him. So he goes and has a chat with Gascoigne, questions him about the assassin. Gascoigne does a rather bad job of uh, covering his tracks, tries to protest to Henry that he's given him exactly what he wants, unity and peace, kneels before Henry, hoping to have him, but instead, Henry gets out a dagger and stabs him on top of his head.
0: Oh, yeah. Yes, I forgot about the on top of the head bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was... I remember thinking at the time though that he did. I mean he yeah. he was getting stabbed in the top of the head for deceiving the king but actually giving him exactly what he wanted, which is sort of quite a forms quite a large basis of all of my parenting. <laughs> yeah. so, so I need a dagger in the top of the head from yeah. Rue, I think. Um and I've thought it was a bit harsh to be honest as a punishment. It did seem a bit harsh,
1: yeah. Mm. Certainly wasn't following due process. Mm. Uh, After this, Henry goes back to Catherine and asks her always to speak the truth and clearly to him, which I think is meant in a romantic way, but I suppose you could say it as being slightly threatening in the context.
0: (laughs) Just stabbed someone in the head. Are you going to tell me the truth? (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. She was a bit surly, actually, wasn't she? Yeah. What was was the problem there?
1: I guess maybe the fact that he'd invaded France, uh, killed her brother and Was going to take the throne as well as her.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: Guess she held that against him a bit.
0: Bit gloomy, though, isn't she? Bit gloomy. Yeah. Yeah. Accuracy.
1: I've got a quote from uh, Christopher Gilliot, who is the director of the Azincourt Museum. So in France, obviously. I am. I'm not going to do a French accent. (laughs) (laughs) I am outraged we are disgusted because in two hours this kind of film demolishes all the mediation work that we have been doing here for eight years or the research work of historians like Anne Anne Curry or Bertrand Schnurb. it's really worrying that we can rewrite history at this point and we can hardly fight against that the general public will always prefer a film to a storybook there, there are people underground, people who really died in this battle, that's what bothers me the most
0: Oh, gosh. Wow. That's quite passionate, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so that's a suggestion that perhaps it's not necessarily going to be ticking all the boxes for accuracy. Now, I've got various uh, notes and things laid out, but I don't know whether we want to just go through all of those as I've got them or if there are any sort of burning questions that you want to ask before you forget.
0: I have some burning ones. There's quite a lot about diarrhoea. Mm-hmm. Um, the odd question about time. Are these questions about the film? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, but you yeah, know, let's go, let's go through the yours because I don't want to. Um, mine will jump all over the place, and you know. Ah, it doesn't matter too much.
1: Um, so I thought I'd sort of go do a few of the sort of big events, and then. Um, some of the characters. So the first thing I've got down was the uh, Battle of Shrewsbury, which is the thing at the start where he has the single combat with uh, Hotspur. Yeah. And then Thomas, his brother, is annoyed at the loss of glory. And the battle itself isn't actually shown.
0: Yeah, they show the battlefield, though, don't they?
1: Yeah, so all of the army, well, all of Henry's army lined up but not actually them fighting. The historical context of Shrewsbury, it was the major battle of Henry IV's reign, so the northern Percy family had supported him against Richard II, but they fell out when he distributed some lands in Cumberland to their rivals. He then refused to ransom uh, Edmund Mortimer, who was another royal prince from uh, O'Anglindar, and then he took custody of some lucrative Scottish nobles that the Percies had captured in battle at Homelden Hill. Now, in reality, Henry IV was actually at the battle himself. He didn't just send his sons off to fight it for him. Right. Uh, Hotspur was killed in the battle, but not by uh, Henry V. Apparently, he charged at Henry IV, but uh, lifted his visor and took an arrow in the face.
0: Uh, Every time, Hotspur as in the Welsh rebel... Uh, Hotspur is
1: the northern rebel, but he links up with Glenn Dower, O'Glendor. who is the yes. Welsh
0: rebel. Okay, right, got you, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Mm. So the background and motivation are correct, and the outcome is correct, but all of the Henry, Hotspur, Thomas stuff is a bit wishy-washy in terms of the yeah. real-life history. We had two purported plots to assassinate Henry before he goes off to Agincourt. Uh, one by the French, which later turns out to be concocted by Gascoigne, and mm. then two English nobles, including Henry's cousin, also plotting against him, or at least hearing about a plot and then voicing their concerns, if not actively engaging in a plot. But Gascoigne dobbed them in.
0: This is what happened in the film, not
1: in the... Yeah, so the historical context for this as I said, Henry IV had faced a lot of opposition after usurping the throne so many believed the person I don't think it was actually in the film but was mentioned a few times Mortimer Yeah. he was the true heir because he'd been a grandson of Edward III's second son whereas right. the Lancastrians Henry IV, Henry V come from the fourth son so it's widely thought that the Mortimer line would have been the kings after Richard II had he not been usurped by Henry
0: Oh, right, okay. But this isn't real, though, is it? Well, there was
1: a genuine plot in 1415 to assassinate Henry and to put Mortimer on the throne in his place. And two of the three nobles who were executed in real life were the nobles who were executed in the film. Right. So this was the Southampton plot, it was known, but Gascoigne doesn't have any involvement in all of this. And indeed, it's actually Mortimer who reveals the plot to Henry. So he finds out. I guess they say, look, we've got a plan to make you king and kill off Henry. Mm-hmm. But Mortimer obviously doesn't quite have such an ardent desire to be king, so he tells Henry all about it, and the plot is averted. Mortimer's in jail, though, right, isn't he? He was, but as part of Henry V's uh, move to have peace at home and abroad, he, he uh, yes, is Mortimer. Yes. His- His dad was the one that wouldn't let him out. Yeah. Yeah, okay, right. Henry does let him out. So that's a bit of a difference, and the key thing in terms of why that matters, in the film, this plot is the final thing that pushes Henry to declare war on the French. Yeah. But in reality, he was actually already preparing for the invasion of France when it happened, so it didn't have any connection to the French campaign at all, other than that he was about to go on it.
0: Oh, right, okay. So, uh... He wasn't the peace lover that the film portrays.
1: Indeed. So what they've done is taken an element of truth, and particularly in terms of the people that are involved, but the context for it, the motivation for it, has all been subverted. It wasn't a cause of war. It wasn't the manipulation of Gascoigne. It was just a plot that happened to happen at this time.
0: Hmm. But, again, we talk about this frequently on this show. Why the need to change? What... How... What have they benefited from by, you know, making him... You know, that was a fascinating thing you just described. Why not just (laughs) put that onto film?
1: I guess because they decided that they wanted Gascoigne to be this sort of Machiavellian sinister figure that was Mm. spinning all of these lies and that that's the big reveal at the end of the film. They needed something after Agincourt and Henry being named heir. So I guess it was the big reveal that ah none of this was true it was all the lies.
0: I think the the, the better um end would've been his death not long after and be like oh <laughs> that's so a, nearly we could that's have a great way to the fact that he, he was nearly king of France as well. Mm. I think fewer people know that than well than the made up nonsense that now people do know. Yeah. Annoying.
1: One of the funny things of with the accuracy of this film, I should say, is that there's quite a few things that seem a bit silly and are obviously made up, but they actually take from Shakespeare because that's their historical source material.
0: <laughs> Brilliant.
1: So I don't think that the Gascoigne stuff is, but some of the inaccuracies are actually originals in terms of Shakespeare.
0: Original inaccuracies. Yeah. Oh, that's the bit they do keep then. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, When they do go to France We start off with The Siege of Harfleur Now it's an interesting one Harfleur In terms of You know what you were saying About the good thing Of uh, removing Shakespeare's words Because the Siege of Harfleur In the play Henry V Is one of Henry's Great most famous speeches So this is when he says Once more unto the breach Dear friends Once more Or close up the wall With our English dead
0: Oh wow Okay I thought that was Agincourt No Makes sense for it to be A breach in a wall doesn't it
1: Yeah Band of Brothers Is the Agincourt one
0: oh yeah okay yeah yeah yeah
1: now in reality henry does indeed launch his invasion of france in 1415 and the first stop is in normandy with harfleur um but in the film although they do sort of show the fact that it was it took a bit longer than they wanted and they're having a chat about how it was taking a bit longer than they wanted it's achieved their aims relatively easily i think i'd say in the film Right. It wasn't too hard. There's not a great loss of life or anything like that. In reality, the siege took a month and the English took really heavy casualties. About 2,000 killed in fighting and another 2,000 were um, basically taken out of action due to illness. The old dysentery.
0: That was going to be my um, toilet-based question.
1: Mm. And the delay was a really serious blow to his campaign because it meant it took them into the not very good... Uh, campaigning season in terms of the weather, yeah. which ironically did actually come to their rescue at Agincourt, but it's not the time that you're meant to be doing it. So, because a lot of the troops had to be invalided home, rather than Henry heading off for glory after Halfler, he's actually heading for English-owned Calais because they've lost a lot of their ships either due to taking people home or I think storms and stuff. They weren't able yeah. to be picked up, so they had to get to the next available port. And try not to be caught by the French.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that—that's the—that's the run um, up the coast, isn't it? Pardon the pun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and that's the bit that I've got uh, one of my questions here. Time from Harfleur to Agincourt, because for for me, the interesting part or or the the uh, the jeopardy of mm. that whole situation is that they are massively outnumbered trying to get to Calais and losing men all the time because they're so desperately ill. Yeah. In the film, it seems like they went from Halfleur for a um, little hike, They yeah. thought, oh, blimey, they're the French. Yeah. It didn't... There was more... They, they could have made it more... The The stakes higher.
1: Yeah. Because I think that's the thing. The reason the stakes don't seem that high is because they don't imply that the English are in a bad situation after Halfleur. The implication is that this is just the first part of henry's campaign to conquer france whereas in reality it's kind of scuppered the whole campaign and he's actually just trying to get
0: home yeah 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 i mean it was a bit annoying about those uh, numbers anyway that it, um that you know if he was trying to invade france and become king mm. why is it such a puny force that at the first instance the first battle at halfleur the first hurdle completely you you always stood the chance of it going as wrong as it did mm. or, as, or as, as taking the casualties that you did and if that and then it does go like that and that removes any chance of victory further down the line it so happens that what follows is Agincourt and it is the closest anyone ever comes to actually ruling France but it's a bit like cockeyed isn't it why do they what how did they think this was ever going to work or was it always designed just to be a a a little pinprick yeah i mean i don't
1: imagine he was expecting to march all the way to paris in one go but like i guess it's sort of like edward the third you you gain territory don't you so you get significant amount of territory and then you hold that and then the Ah. next year in campaigning season you've got a base now well into france doing some diplomacy as well get people on board who aren't happy with the king and then you can gradually then start to move forwards
0: yeah okay oh i see and it just happens that all it took the stars aligned so that this one battle meant that actually he did it in just the one this one shake of the dice
1: well or did he we'll come to that um, the next thing, of course, is the Battle of Agincourt. So in the film, Falstaff staff predicts it will rain the next day, and despite the inferior numbers, the rain and the conditions means that they can win if they get the French to fight in the mud. So the English are in light armour, whereas the French are going to be in heavy cavalry, uh, heavy armour, which won't be mm-hmm. so good in the mud.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, everything goes as he predicts, and although he himself is killed as part of the vanguard attack, the French are indeed rush in to battle as he said they would. They react when provoked. They get stuck. The longbowmen do some damage and they get a pretty heavy defeat. Mm -hmm. The broad sweep of this is correct, but a lot of the finer details aren't so accurate. The film suggests that this is mountainous territory and the French are attacking downhill into the English force. Is that true? No, it's not. So actually the English had the slight advantage of a hill.
0: Oh I knew there was a hill involved. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's yeah. not a massive one, but it is it is a hill, but the English are actually on the incline. It was on recently ploughed land, which is why the mud was even worse because it had recently all been, you know, raked up and stuff. Uh one of the key things that the English do, and particularly I think the longbowmen do, is they run forwards before the kind of the battle starts to get a bit closer into a good position, and then they lay down really large stakes to prevent yeah. the cavalry being able to attack them.
0: That's in the Laurence Olivier version as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but we don't see that in the king.
0: Oh, maybe I'm thinking of that. Let <laughs> me just think of that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so you don't get that. That's one of the sort of the key tactical things which you don't really see, which is often, well, I say often, you see Braveheart and... Mm.
0: Actually,
1: not so much an Outlaw King, but certainly in Braveheart, the strategic elements of the battle just don't exist. Just the two armies line up and charge and one of them wins because they... Ch- yeah. Shout a bit louder, and then the next day, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's not as bad as that, but you don't get all of the uh, tactical nuance. Uh, the longbowmen don't really feature very much. You don't. We do see a shot, obviously, of the arrows flying over, but you don't get a sense that this is the thing which absolutely, you know, massacres the yeah, French army.
0: Yeah, that was disappointing. I thought, mm. and there. Um, now, um, this is where I wish I'd seen it more recently, but I think. I remember there being a problem if I had um, time and didn't text my brother so frequently, I could um, go through my WhatsApp and find out. <laughs> I think I was texting him because they do that thing that often happens in medieval films where they do, um, they, they treat archers like um, gunnery, in that yeah. they say, you know, if you had a gun, you'd say, ready, aim, fire. Mm. Yeah, I think they try and put, they, they equate that to longbows, and they say like, "Ready, hold, <laughs> yeah. loose," and that's just not how they work. They, as soon as they just say they just say "go," and they just fire, keep firing volley after volley. It's impossible to hold a great big bow like that to your yeah. to your ear. It's a sort of it's one great big motion, drawing the bow and firing. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's the problem I had with this one. I'm mm. starting to be corrected though. No, I think I think you're right. It didn't feature
1: much, and I think that was all it was done. It was almost just like the first volley, mm. and then, right, and now we have the actual battle. It's just a thing. Let's yeah, fire off a few hours, and then the actual main fighting will take place.
0: Yeah, because uh, it makes better Hollywood to have stars in the thick of it actually fighting yeah. than just lobbing arrows going, they're still coming, the idiots. Look! Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's
1: kind of the equivalent of if it was a First World War film that you'd have an initial flurry of shots from the machine guns and then they're just sort of fighting hand-to-hand in the middle of no yeah. man's land rather than just people being mown yeah. down throughout.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, 1917 was good, wasn't it? Mm.
1: <laughs> I was also just thinking in terms of the um, what you're saying about the hold with the longbowman. This almost sounds like a kind of a Greek... Like the underworld punishment, people like Sisyphus and stuff just being held in eternity.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holding yeah. the longbow <laughs> on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Falstaff seems to be taking the role of the Duke of York in this film. Not in terms of the strategy and being a mastermind uh, of all of that, but uh, the Duke of York was the sort of senior leader uh, in the army who will ki- actually killed Atash in court. Hmm. So I guess Falstaff That's- is kind of playing that role.
0: Oh, right. That's unfortunate, because there were so few actual casualties, right? There was, like, in the order of yeah. hundreds rather than yeah. thousands. He must have been right at the forefront.
1: Mm. Henry uh, did genuinely fight in the thick of things, as depicted in the film. And at one point, um, he stood over his wounded brother. Now, actually, Henry is one of four brothers. We only see Thomas, but he has another two brothers. And the youngest okay. one, Humphrey, was alongside him at Agincourt, and he got wounded, so Henry stood over him, ...to protect him whilst he got treated... ...and apparently Henry himself took an axe blow... ...to his helmet... ...which knocked a piece of uh, the helmet crown... ...off.
0: Oh wow.
1: Which again is not depicted in the film.
0: Oh it's so annoying Graham. (laughs) It's so annoying. They're all the best bits. (laughs) Is this this Joel Edgerton doing it? Is this... um, uh, ...editors of some sort? Producers? I don't know how the industry works. But... (laughs) That all the best bits that you'd think make the best film, go. So
1: it could have been more accurate, Agincourt. The tactical elements are there, but could have been clearer. But I suppose the essence is there. We do see the French being weighed down by heavy armour. We do see, um, I think at one point, there's a soldier you see basically drowning in the mud, which, again, rather gruesomely did happen.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. OK, Graham, I have got... Some, are you, uh, is that the end of your notes? Um, I've got one more event
1: okay. thing because you said about how people don't realise the way that with this one roll of the dice at Agincourt Henry basically almost takes the French throne mm. now that's how the film depicts it and indeed it I guess how Shakespeare depicts it so this is the Treaty of Troyes where he visits the King of France who offers a surrender offers his daughter in marriage and names him uh, as his heir now in reality although all of that did happen. The implication is that this is a direct result of Agincourt. Yeah. It actually is five years later. So Henry has Agincourt, goes back to England, and then in 1417, he comes back for a more sustained campaign. So he then spends three years gradually conquering Normandy, besieging... Castle after castle Taking town after town Really doing the hard graft Working his way through France Until he gets to the walls of Paris And it's at that point That he has the Treaty of Troyes And the French king acknowledges him As heir
0: Okay I definitely Wouldn't have got that I in I thought that was The result of Agincourt mm, No What? Okay Weird um, now, so that technically, explains that Henry the Sixth, as well. There's time to raise a child. Yeah, or just make a child.
1: <laughs> yeah, just time.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it it technically in the film doesn't pop up with a date or anything like that. So it it, yeah. it doesn't not it doesn't deny it happening, but it does rather imply that it's as in core named heir yeah. of France.
0: Yeah, I mean that's how. Yeah, I completely would have fallen for that
1: and as you said um the reality is that actually it's just two years after signing that treaty that henry himself dies just a month or two before the french king died Mm. and the film ends with this as like the great new beginning he's got rid of the advisor he's on level par with catherine he sorted himself out as king and now it's time for a glorious long reign
0: yeah of both lands
1: Whereas in reality, he's going to get dysentery in about 18 months.
0: <laughs> oh, that's not funny. Sorry. Wait, dysentery,
1: dysentery. Well, either it was either dysentery. I've even re- read, apparently, the theory it might just have been heat stroke. Oh, God. Wearing heavy armour in a very hot day. Poor fellow. Mm. Hmm. Anyway, those are sort of the key events. Now, I've got notes on the characters, but you if you've got some more questions...
0: I've got some more questions. Hmm. Uh, was he really n- so nonplussed about being a king at the start?
1: No. So it's worth going on to Henry. So the film presents him as a riotous partying youth with no real interest in the crown. But when he becomes king, he then starts taking his responsibilities seriously. Yeah. Now, the riotous Prince Hal is a, well, a Shakespearean invention or whatever sort of source Shakespeare used invents it. And there's no evidence of him being disinterested in national affairs the reality is that the clash with his father was because of a disagreement over policy
0: so the opposite
1: yeah the opposite so Henry V was on a sort of regency council because Henry IV was ill a lot and he was clashing with Henry IV's advisors and effectively against Henry IV so it's this which leads to Henry going off for a few years and being at odds with his father
0: I, I'm trying to work out why it's Better for the film to portray it as they did, and I can't see that.
1: Well, it's well, for one thing, that's the Shakespeare story, Prince Hal. Oh, okay, partying, but I guess also it's the journey. He starts off as the party animal, not really taking things seriously, but then he has to grow, he has to find himself as a king.
0: Mm. Didn't get much of that in the film.
1: Um, well, he starts off, he's all piece, 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 and he's kind of been quite easily led and manipulated, but I guess by the end, he gradually hardens as the film goes on, and he finds his. Independence, gets rid of the advisor.
0: Mm. Gets rid of him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Thank you. Now, where was his scar? Well, indeed. So,
1: um, as you said, the Battle of Shrewsbury isn't shown. So all we see is him having a fight, which is largely a punch-up with Hotspur (laughs) until he stabs him. Uh, The reality is that in this very hard-fought battle, which takes place off-screen, Henry V gets a really bad arrow wound in the face. And mm. it's so bad that uh, a very uh, clever doctor basically invents an entirely new tool in order to extract it.
0: Because where does it, it goes through his cheek, right?
1: Yeah, so that's why the portrait that uh, everyone will see of Henry V is in profile, because presumably the other side is a mess.
0: Mm. Um. and does it lodge in his the bones of his skull or is it all I mean what's the tool for to get it out of the bone rather than the yeah to flesh? get it out good grief
1: so it's a very very nasty I mean anyone else with that wound would have died and mm. most even the son of a king in any other time would have done but this obvious, particular surgeon was obviously very good
0: well then I feel a certain affinity with henry v i don't think i'd had my terrible face accident uh <laughs> when we recorded no henry. no he you haven't no Ah, oh. uh well that's nice mm. good i also like to think doctor.
1: that i also like to think that as in your case the doctor came out afterwards going yeah, i've done a really good job on this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: or 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 he harked back to that one doctor saying there's there's something in history that <laughs> I remember could be really useful here, and he and he pulls out some medieval tool made of pig iron. <laughs> okay, all right, thank you. That's the scar covered. Well, so
1: so in the film, oh. of course, Timothy Chalamet, as we said, very very pretty, does not have uh, an horrific scar, but he he does have a slight little scratch on one of his cheeks.
0: I didn't even notice it.
1: It's sort of like someone's gone over it with a pencil.
0: Hmm
1: so the reality is he should have had a really hardcore scar
0: Okay, so again what's the benefit of not including that
1: Uh, I mean I guess it's just not a plot point in Shakespeare and they obviously didn't want a uh, haggard war wounded king they wanted the pretty boy yeah young and pretty heroic king
0: they wanted those extra downloads from people who said he's really good looking watch this yeah that's annoying. Okay, 1v1 fighting. Didn't happen. No. Nope. Was he actually any good? At fighting? Mm.
1: Yes, which is, again, one of the weird things, that the fact that they twice show him... Well, they once show him in single combat, and they also show him offering it uh, and not being taken up. But weirdly, I'd say that that makes him look less good at fighting than what they should have done, because they said the Hotspur fight... They're just, like, rolling around punching each other. Mm. And then Henry unleashes his secret weapon, which is just to stab somebody with a dagger. <laughs> I mean, he is the embodiment yeah. of stabby-stabby.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought... I would have started with a stabby, and then if all else fails, you try. But, you know... Uh, that I just thought that was odd in the film that they uh, set him up as this not-terribly-interested person... Probably rubbish at fighting because he only liked drinking beer. Mm. Um, and then he offers this combat, and, and you're led to believe, oh, it's going to be hopeless. But he's really, well, not really good. He just keeps succeeding. Don't know. I don't know why that. It does. It, it's not. Uh, it's not a rocky type situation where <laughs> he then does loads of work and comes out really good. Yeah. He just. Sort of scraps around a bit.
1: I mean, I suppose that you, would I guess you'd say that even a wayward prince would have been given extensive training in sword fighting mm. and combat, etc. But yeah, the reality is the actual Henry V would have been an incredibly good soldier. Say he was not the thick of the fighting at Corps. he was properly, you know, in the midst fighting. Yeah, could easily a- have been killed.
0: I mean, a, a a king at this age, at this time. In um, history, may you know, he earned his spurs by being the best knight, right? Mm. Being the best at fighting, tactically and uh, physically. Yeah.
1: Mm. Um, so yeah, so Timothy Chalamet is very sort of waif-like, and you sort of don't really mm. feel like he would be a great fighter. Was I think the real Henry V would have been?
0: Yeah, they were machines. So they were the Henry man. Mark Vs.
1: Exactly. Now, one of the most. I'd say ridiculous uh, diversions from uh, fact was when Henry IV named the second of his sons as heir ahead of Henry V.
0: Did we see that or was that implied? No, it was
1: was direct. So it's when he brings Henry to him and says, you are my eldest son, but you will not be king.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: And then he points to uh, Thomas who's the Duke of Clarence. So that's Tommen from Game of Thrones. So Tommen Thomas. Oh, yeah.
0: And um, 1917. And
1: 1917. Thomas. That's a good film. Um, Who is younger, but more serious, more dutiful, and seems more appropriate to the task of being king, perhaps. So the film implies that if Thomas hadn't died in the campaign in Wales, then he would have been king ahead of Henry V. Yeah. The elements of truth... That the film has for this is that when Henry was dismissed, Henry V was dismissed from his father's council in 1411. It was Thomas who took his seat at the table, basically, and Mm. does pretty much go along with his father's policies. But the idea that he would have been promoted scrapping primogeniture is not. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Because it wasn't a choice, was it? It wasn't like the king could say whoever he liked, right? It had to be the. Yeah, so.
1: primogeniture is established by this point. Yeah. And what's more, Thomas does not die fighting rebels in Wales. <laughs> he is one of Henry's uh, chief lieutenants in the French campaigns. He's not at Agincourt because, uh, like Sir John Fastolf, he's invalided home from Harfleur. Oh, right. Uh, which, uh, no, again, quite a blow for Henry's campaign. that you know, One of his brothers got sent home being ill yeah. uh, but he fights in numerous significant engagements during uh, the second campaign um, he is killed in battle um, but it's against Franco-Scottish forces in 1421
0: when wait, how long after that is this so that's this six
1: years after Agincourt
0: oh right and when, in fact it's do, one where, year, where one year after take?
1: the treaty where the French King names him as heir so technically it's after the end of the film oh yeah Another thing at the start of the film, we said about how the clash with his father was because of uh, disagreements over policy. So this also makes a nonsense of the fact um, that when he becomes king, he has no understanding of basically the Hundred Years' War and the claim mm-hmm. that the English monarchs have to the French crown. So when the Archbishop of Canterbury stands up and starts telling him how you know, he needs to go off oh, and invade, yeah. he's like, why is he talking to me about war against France?
0: Yeah, I forgot about that But yeah. Uh,
1: The reality is that this is absolutely 100% the thing that Henry is determined to do in life, is become King of France. Oh, right. That's everything he's trying to do. So the idea that he doesn't really know about it, that he has to be pushed and forced into it, uh, is completely wrong. He's certainly not a pacifist or ignorant of it. Indeed, the nobles actually encouraged him to negotiate more with the French... Uh, and moderate his rather hard demands, because his demands <laughs> of the French are just to make sure that they will go to war. So the French in 1415, or you know 1414, actually offer marriage to Catherine of Valois, who he ends mm. up marrying, a dowry of 600,000 crowns, and ownership of an uh, enlarged aquitaine. Uh, I suppose in fairness to the film, the although he's not a pacifist and he absolutely wants to invade France, in terms of his domestic policy, he is a bit more nice and... Well, he's not nice. It is more <laughs> geared towards peace and unity. He wants to undo the divisions of his father's reign, so he has Richard the Second reinterred. Uh, Mortimer, the other royal, is released and restored to favour, and he does sort of restore titles of people that rebelled against his father and that sort of thing. So at home... He is a he does do more appeasement and nicey nicey stuff. So that's I guess you could say that's where they've got that aspect of his character.
0: I just don't I just would have much preferred to see a film where it was accurate and he was a bloodthirsty fellow and uh you know, also some um dysentery.
1: Indeed. <laughs> there was not enough graphic dysentery.
0: No. Okay, full staff.
1: In the film, he starts off as one of Henry's drinking companions, but then later on, Henry appeals to him as basically the only person he can trust. So he's Mm -hmm. then one of the leading soldiers um, at Agincourt, and indeed, he is the man who actually devises uh, the victory. It's entirely his strategy. Yeah. So, obviously, this is largely coming from... Well, entirely coming from Shakespeare. So in Shakespeare, he's a very popular fool. So a fool in Shakespeare is the comic relief. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, drinking companion of Prince Hal in Henry the Fourth, parts one and two, but cast aside uh, when Henry becomes king, and that's where we see the change from the riotous Prince Hal to the very serious and proper Henry V. So all of his drinking buddies are sent away. He doesn't actually appear in the play Henry V. He's just mentioned. His death is just mentioned. Oh right. Um, his he does have a third appearance in a play, but it's a comedy, The Merry Wives of Windsor. Which is supposedly because Elizabeth I had a request to see Falstaff in love. So what? Shakespeare just had to write a, a romantic comedy for Falstaff because Elizabeth wanted it. Set in, at the right time? Set in... Nah, it's not, not really... A, not an historical one.
0: Oh, does my nut, this.
1: Hmm.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, the reality right. yeah.
1: is that this is a fictional character.
0: Okay, But he is
1: sort of based on a couple of people. Mainly, um, it was thought, a man called Sir John Oldcastle, who'd been a friend of Henry's uh, when in Henry's youth, um, but was very controversial because he was a Lollard. So that's a, a religious uh, sort of reformer or rebel. And he was ultimately executed in 1417 for leading a Lollard uprising. Right. So you can see elements there where when Henry was young, he was someone who caused trouble, but Henry still stuck with him and went along with it and kept him out of trouble but after henry is king no more right um the reason that the character is not called old castle is because uh, the name was changed because old castle had some descendants in shakespeare's ah. time who weren't very happy about it so he had to change the name from old castle instead went to falstaff But he was then probably still invoking a real person, because there was a a knight called Sir John Fastolf, who lived from 1380 to 1459, who fought under Henry V and his brothers for many years. Um, He was invalided home from Harfleur, so he wasn't actually at Agincourt, Mm. and thus did not come up with a strategy for how to win Agincourt. Uh, Spent a year as the governor of the Bastille. Yeah. This is after, obviously, they have actually taken most of France. But his mm. uh, reputation was ruined by a defeat at the Battle of Patay. Or Patay. How do you pronounce that? P-A-T-A-Y. Sounds like it should be Indian, but it's French, obviously.
0: Hmm. Mm. does sound... If it were in Ingl- uh, Indian, it would be Patay, would it? Hmm. Oh, I don't know. Uh,
1: anyway, he well, defeated at well, this battle mm. in 1429 by Joan of Arc. Ooh. And uh, was accused, probably unfairly, of cowardice, because he survives the battle.
0: Oh, I hate that. Mm. It's like self-proving uh, argument. Yeah. Uh, and in
1: 1435, interestingly, he wrote a report on the war in France and the tactics and all that sort of thing, which is a very rare surviving example of medieval strategic thinking from a foot soldier.
0: Yeah, and an example of, like, an inquiry. Yeah. Oh, weird.
1: So we see then that these two real people kind of form uh, staff because we've got Um, Oldcastle as a friend in Henry's youth, and Mm. Fastolf as a military commander and a very successful soldier. But in terms of the film's accuracy, he wasn't at Agincourt, he wasn't Henry's only friend, and uh, wasn't a drinking buddy.
0: Okay, so he's an amalgamation. Yeah. Um, The Dauphin. mm. Uh,
1: In the film, he's something of a a cartoon French baddie. He's Mm. rude, arrogant and evil. Mm. So he threatens Henry in a very graphic way at Harfleur. Mm. Reference to what he's going to do with the tennis balls. Oh, yeah. And then later at uh, Agincourt, well, actually just before Agincourt, he callously murders Henry's young pages.
0: Oh, yeah, through the woods, running through the woods.
1: woods. And then he sends one of them with the head of one of the boys just as a message for Henry.
0: Imagine how... I mean, I know it's a film, Graham, but when when you have little kids, it makes mm. you think like how awful that would be for that child for the rest of his life. Mm. Oh, people are so cruel. Now, in reality,
1: the actual Dauphin, well, the one who was Dauphin at the time, uh, suffered from ill health, it was not particularly warlike, and had actually tried to bring peace between some of the divided French parties. And he was at neither Haveler nor Agincourt.
0: Oh, right. Brilliant.
1: Um though he did die in fourteen fifteen, um two months after the battle, but it was no connection to Henry and it was, of course, dysentery.
0: Hey, the great leveller. Hmm. Um and that is actually why presumably there's no heir to get in the way so that Henry could roll up.
1: No, there was one. Is this they have a lot of children, uh, Charles VI oh. and his wife. Um, but a whole series of sons have died, but there was one last son, and he is disinherited.
0: By Henry take, um, because of this deal? Mm. And then when Henry dies, he's, he becomes king.
1: Well, he has to fight for it. So Henry VI is actually crowned king of France. Really? Mm. Rex fact. <laughs> so uh, I think it's fair to say the Dauphin uh, not an accurate portrayal.
0: Yeah, and it's annoying that there aren't any um, English-speaking French actors out there.
1: I mean, I think there are probably quite a few French actors that could <laughs> speak English.
0: Oh, then, well, I, that's, I, then I wonder why they've got um, that Hollywood star Robert Pattinson to muck around pretending to be French.
1: Yeah, I don't know why they decided to get it's, in a high-profile
0: <laughs> Hollywood it's actor. annoying, isn't it? Because... If only there was, like, just, just one French actor out there who um who could, you know, just actually just be French. Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> <laughs> you could have got Macron in for half the money, I reckon, than <laughs> yeah. Robert Pattinson.
1: <laughs> um, the other major character, and probably the one that people would be least familiar with, is uh, William Gascoigne. The uh, yes. Chief Justice, the Machiavellian, effective sort of Prime Minister type figure.
0: Yeah, they make him into a, quite a sort of snaky, uh, sly character, don't they?
1: Yeah. Although it's well, one of those where it's that's I guess that's part of the drama. It's a bit of a trick on the audience as well, because it seems like he's providing Henry with very useful counsel yeah, and guidance. He's a bit of a moderator. He's trying to get Henry on the right path, but he's not pushing too hard when the nobles come to him with plots against him they end up being killed off but in reality he fabricates one assassination attempt betrays two nobles um, for a second one and all so that he can force Henry to go to war with France when he doesn't want to
0: and what does he gain from this what's his, what's his point
1: well I mean partly I guess there seems like there is a commitment amongst the hierarchy of the country that they want this campaign in France that they're all signed up to it already and Henry V in the film questions him about how much land he's gained from the French campaign. In reality, Gascoigne uh, was an ally, wasn't ally he was an ally of uh, Henry IV during the Richard II years and he then was appointed by Henry IV as Chief Justice. Um, and he does potentially have a conflict with Henry V because there's a fanciful story um, that during the reign of Henry IV Gascoigne imprisoned one of Prince Hal's drinking companions and then when how protests against this Gascoigne gave him a dressing down
0: This is real life.
1: Probably not but there is a story That exists outside of Shakespeare And this film
0: Right oh, It's so hard to know what's true or not Graham
1: Well the key point is that Soon after Henry V became king Gascoigne was removed from his position And not by virtue Of a knife being stuck in his head Right. So all of these events in the film, which are basically completely directed by
0: Gascoigne,
1: and he's not actually there at all. He's been retired.
0: So who is there? Who is actually advising him in real life?
1: Oh, well, just normal counsel, but the, the key person who's really pushing for war at all costs is Henry V. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Are oh, it's such a convoluted mix up if you're writing this film and thought and you had the history in front of you yeah you thought well that won't work because of this well we'll have to make this person like that and just just tell it just tell it as it is it's just as interesting it's an
1: interest it's sort of an interesting thing thinking about how they came up with some of the stuff and you sort of feel like they've because what they've done is not sit down with the history in front of them they've sat down with Shakespeare in front of them
0: did you just say shut down?
1: I did, which probably would have been equally accurate. It's <laughs> 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 that dysentery again. <laughs> Very good. Um, so they sat down with the Shakespeare text in front of them, taken out the words, but kept basically everything else in terms of the plot structure. But they've also clearly sat down with some history books as reference points. And they thought, oh, yeah, we'll take that and turn it into this. And Mm. then, oh, we'll use this, and then he could then do that, and that will allow Henry to become this. So they've taken Mm. real elements to make it feel a bit more authentic, but in a way have just done lots of other inauthentic things with it.
0: Yeah, well, they've based themselves on some fake news in the the first instance with Shakespeare. Yeah. And then thought, we'll muck around with this a little bit. So it's all just it's all just getting so far removed from actually what happened beyond the names and a battle
1: yeah so we now have to give a rating for the uh, the accuracy level of the film i was thinking if we were to do like the if the ent- how entertaining it is was out of 5 and then this was out of 5 that would mean that it would be out of 10 which is a more normal oh
0: that's good yeah so what that's out of 5
1: yeah, so I guess we say that five is, you know, a very, very accurate, only the most minor of changes, and it's pretty much as it happened. And so what- five
0: is like Braveheart, <laughs> and one is like, I don't know, uh, U571.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure in terms of Braveheart if I put it quite at a five for accuracy, but...
0: Uh... Well, that's the scale I'm working on. You You choose your own number five. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, okay, so accuracy. One one being U571, five being uh, Braveheart. Um, it's got to be around the two or three. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not a five or a four.
1: There's a lot that's been changed. You've got things like, you know, the ridiculousness of the, the Dauphin um Gascoigne is this Machiavellian person that never was. Henry V is this pacifist who's forced into the war and doesn't know anything about what's going on. The brother Mm. being named as heir. There's an awful lot of things like that where you've got... The lack of dysentery. The lack of dysentery. Um, But equally, there's a lot, I suppose, in terms of the broad sweep of events. You say, Mm. well, he he was in conflict with his father. Uh, Hotspur is killed at Shrewsbury. He does... Invade France. We have Harfleur. Then we have Agincourt. Agincourt. It's all about the mud and the French getting stuck, which is true. We do no longbows. Have, we do have some longbows there. <laughs> we do have the Treaty of Troyes, even though it implies it came earlier, but it doesn't explicitly say that it does, which is basically correct. So it's not. They haven't dramatically changed, I suppose, the hugely important events, but. They have changed quite a lot of things.
0: Do you know what I feel they haven't done? Is they haven't changed the accepted narrative, which comes from Shakespeare, mm. which we know to be fake. And I think we're trying <laughs> yeah. to look at this to be... We started this by saying it's based on the Shakespeare. But actually, actually, if if what they're aiming for is Shakespeare without the these thousand wherefores... Mm. Um, They've even actually no, they've even changed that, haven't they? Because mm. full stuff appears. So what are they playing at, Graham? <laughs> I, I was going to go for a three. I'm going for a two now. It's annoyed me.
1: Yeah, I think a two is the right. So what I'm th- what I'm thinking with these, rather than us both giving one out of five and then it ended yeah. up being out of ten, we'd just that's do our our average. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I th- I'd say a two as well. Yeah, it's there's a lot that's inaccurate about it, but it's
0: it does follow a broad sweep. That's it. There's a lot that's inaccurate about it. There's a lot of it that acknowledges is inaccurate because it's saying, hey, yeah, but they, we've got some kudos because we're following Shakespeare. That's why it's inaccurate. Yeah. But then there's loads that it doesn't even follow that. It's just weird. Hmm. Are you not entertained? I was entertained. I've got to be honest. I think I hmm. was. I, I was in a, um, in a sort of... Uh, uh, modern family enjoying myself kind of way rather than killing eve compulsively have to watch the next one kind of way uh yeah so it was just a bit lightweight wasn't it
1: mm. and um, i thought an interesting okay.
0: thing with it which was the interesting
1: thing when you know, i said at the start about how you were saying you know it's off to a great start and that they've taken out the shakespeare's words mm. But then, somebody was thinking, well, they kind of try to make it more serious because, like you said, the Lawrence Olivier and I think Kenneth Branagh when he did it, it's kind of it's very hurrah, huzzah, Henry and King mm. George. It's all very upbeat, yeah, and heroic. Whereas this one, he's very serious. He's a bit mopey. It's, yeah, it's a bit slow to get going, and you know, there's no. They sort of want to do the serious, not reveling in war and glory. Mm. but they've still retained the structure of a Shakespeare of a film play that, does that. that was meant yeah. to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and maybe that's maybe that's the um, conflict that's jarring. Mm. Pun, pun again. Um, but, no, I think you're absolutely right.
1: And that's why I feel like perhaps the Shakespeare version of it, with Shakespeare's words, that fits better, because it is just done as a heroic, huzzah, yeah big speeches feel-good or you could do it in a really gritty, slightly more modern Game of Thrones type way. And it felt like they kind of wanted to do a bit of both.
0: And yeah, yeah, and d- yeah, and I think that's a really, really accurate um, summary of it. Yeah, and it didn't pull off either. Mm. Some things i um,
1: picked up on, um, which I sort of was entertained by, but not in the way I was meant to be. Well, maybe I was meant to be. The Archbishop of Canterbury is incredibly keen on war.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then when my he, problem with that.
1: But then when he turned up to half Halfler, he obviously had no idea how war worked. So when they're doing the siege and it's going on too long, he's saying, well, "Surely you can't just sit here and wait for them to come out."
0: Oh yeah, <laughs>
1: like, and they is, say that is how seems works. Siege yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, why didn't he yeah, just go God.
0: around? Yeah, I mean, a lot of me. I remember thinking that as a kid. Like, there's, well, there's, they're, if they're hold up in a castle, just. Go around them, them. yeah. But and then that does end up actually being uh, a military tactic. Certainly in the uh, Saint Michael's Michaelmas raids of is it Michaelmas Saint Michael's raids of the end of the Second World War with the Germans, they just avoid hard points. Mm. uh, First World War, sorry, and um, make huge gains. I don't know how we got onto the First World War again. (laughs) What do you think of 1917? oh it's a great film. (laughs) um yeah uh but i was entertained but i sort of um that's the question isn't it i was entertained but i don't know i was a bit annoyed because i actually wanted to be entertained in a in on a deeper level i think i i think i preferred the trailer the trailer Mm. got me more excited and and the actual result wasn't as satisfying
1: So I think one of the problems for us with these sorts of things, there's an element in which I just quite like seeing these events portrayed on film. Yeah, yeah, completely. So there's any number of TV series and films which aren't really very good, but I'm like, well, you know, I just want to see it. it.
0: Yeah. And that's how they get away with it, Graham, actually. That's how they do it. I've answered my own question here. Why do they do it? Why do they change the history? Because they know people like us and all our listeners... Will watch it lap it up, and so that and that, so they can make it more accessible to everyone else by mucking around with the timeline, the history, whatever, just to make it more palatable because then they know everyone will watch it.
1: Mm. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's our fault. Um, in terms of the um Shakespeare versus gritty, not quite so gritty film thing, another example of why I thought that the Shakespeare version might work better is that although it was completely ridiculous my favourite thing in the film was Robert Pattinson as the Dauphin really? because he was just so ridiculous like it It felt like he'd rocked up to this really serious war film and he thought that it was a Monty Python film (laughs) <laughs> and at some point they sat him down they explained to him what was actually going on and he thought nope no I'm going <laughs> to just do a python sketch
0: yeah yeah you know I'm Robert Patterson right yeah yeah I, I, even in the end when he's slipping around in the mud after Agincourt yeah I think that's where the the director surely have gone one step, step too far we really should have just got that French guy in um <laughs> But maybe you're right actually. And and when I when I heard about this and I was excited by the trailer and knew that he was playing the Doe fan, that was the bit that I was annoyed about. Mm. But actually on reflection, the film let us down and maybe that he was mm. the highlight, yeah. He was That's like, well I might as well I might as well
1: have some fun with this.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not what anyone wants here, so um let's really camp this Frenchman up. Yeah. They also
1: seem to do a bizarre thing with with uh, Gascoigne as this arch Machiavellian genius who's manipulated the entire events of the whole film so well. And yet when Henry questions him, he is really bad under interrogation. Yeah. It's like, how, how did that assassin come by you? Uh, uh, oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did he meet yeah, you in yeah. the street? Oh, yes, yes, he met me in the street. But he didn't know who you were. Oh, no, no, he didn't meet me in the street.
0: I remember that exchange so clearly. For thinking exactly that, that he just went with the option that was given to him. <laughs> <It's> so rubbish. <laughs> it's sort of like a Machiavellian behind-the-scenes uh, thick of it. Dominic Cummings, or what's the Scots actor who plays in the thick Peter of it? Capaldi? Yeah, Malcolm Tucker. Uh, M- Malcolm Tucker, but then actually under pressure, just goes horribly wrong.
1: So, were you entertained, and to what extent were you entertained? If you had to. Uh... Put on a score out of five how entertained you were. With presumably Braveheart at
0: five. <laughs> oh, Braveheart at five, yeah. Braveheart at five. Um, actually, going to sh- see Shakespeare, Henry V, on the <laughs> theatre at number one. Um, it's better than that. It's not close to Braveheart. Uh. I can't help but think it's a two or a three again. Probably two two and a half. No two. I did. I'm annoyed. Actually, I'm annoyed looking back, trying to rate it. <laughs> I think I enjoyed it more at the time than <laughs> until I made you back think on about it. it. Well, no, I think because uh, I had uh, someone, uh, uh, my brother again, asked me about it, and I, I don't think I, I could, in all good conscience, say, oh yeah, no, yeah, watch it. I be like, eh. yeah, mm. it's a two for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think
1: probably a two as well. It's it's disappointing. Yeah. Wanted more from it.
0: I mean, I, lo- I loved the trailer. There's so many things like that. The Revenant, I loved the trailer. Absolutely mm. brilliant. But the whole film could be Leonardo DiCaprio gets cold. That's my review. So we're
1: giving it a two uh, for the entertainment factor. So we put those together: two for accuracy, two for entertainment. Four out of ten for the king.
0: That seems quite high.
1: I mean, it's not. It's not a very high score.
0: Mm. No. Two out of five. Yeah, that's no, all right. I'm just getting annoyed with it more. I think about <laughs> it now. Uh, but this goes back to my question. Then, what if anyone did uh, give their opinion on when you Netflix partied this? What do Rex Factor fans think of it?
1: Well, that would be the perfect time for...
0: Correspondence Corner!
1: So, if you have seen The King, if you were with me for the Netflix party, or if you've uh, seen it before or since, then let us know what you think about The King. Do you think it deserved a higher score? Did you enjoy it? Or are you in agreement with us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram where we are at Rex Factor Pod, or like and join in the discussions on the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page. Uh, alternatively, of course, you can send an email to rexfactorpodcast at com. We'll be doing these Rex Rexflix episodes intermittently, so we'll have to decide what film we want to do next. And um, not sure how we'll decide which one to do next. Or maybe I'll I'll put a few together in a little shortlist and then maybe Privy Councilors can pick.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Hmm. So that is our review of the king. Did not, did not go down well, Graham.
1: Broadly speaking, a thumbs down.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's what we need. Watch or not watch? Not yeah. watch, but we know you will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, that's what I'd do anyway.
1: <laughs> so uh, thank you for listening, and uh, join us next time. Well, yeah. So in terms of actually what we're doing next. Um, mm. Privy councillors, we're planning to do a pub quiz We've been talking about for a while
0: Oh yeah. yeah I
1: think that is the next thing on the list And then it will be Sulla the, uh, Oh run, yeah, the special Yeah, special episode And then after that, our first episode back with the consorts Will be Eleanor of Aquitaine
0: Who was that, our last one? Matilda of Boulogne Stephen's wife And who's wife. Stephen? Oh yeah, of course it'll be Eleanor, yeah This is the biggie. This is the one that a lot of people have been waiting for. Yeah. (laughs) Hence
1: why it might be a bit of a gap.
0: Mm, Yeah. All right. Well, um, tally-ho.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Cheerio.